0: I want to invite you with some interest to go to Matthew chapter 7 today. We're going to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick up at verse 13 and 14. In fact, uh, last Sunday, I I think we just kind of took a moment to look at uh, the first few verses of chapter 7. We went through all through chapter 6, and then we looked at uh, the first six verses, and then I think 7 through 12 at a different time. And so we're just going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 13 and 14. And, of course, this is the sermon on Some sermon or some, excuse me, some sources say that this is probably most likely the largest crowd that Jesus ever spoke to. Now, that's saying something. I mean, thinking about the fact and the reality that Jesus spoke to three thousand at one point and he fed them and then he he fed another group of about five thousand, not counting women and children. So thinking about that, that this was even a larger crowd than that. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Remember, Jesus sitting on the hillside and the Sea of Galilee in the background, the wind just gently, you know, blowing as Jesus is speaking. And you can imagine the impact that he was having. But yet also you can imagine how important it was what he was about to say as he gives this Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I believe it, it just kind of, you know, all brings us or his message really points to these two verses as we look at them together. This morning, I invite you to look at Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 13 and 14. Let's read that together this morning. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I pray that your blessing would be upon it. Thank you, Lord. For the work that you do every time that we break open the word of life. The Father in heaven that does not come back void. That Lord that you are speaking. And Lord I'm not sure what you're saying. You know to that individual. Or that young person this morning. Or that person that maybe is in a new place in their life. And they, they, they have some questions. I, I, I'm not sure what it is that you're saying. But Father I know that you are speaking. And so God I pray that your blessing That your anointing would be upon your word today as we read it. Thank you for this word. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, obviously, as I read the passage and it talks about, of course, the road that is wide and the road that is narrow, I immediately relate to an experience I had in my mind some years ago in regards to a narrow passageway. In fact, I was in high school and even in college uh and and some of my buddies would find ourselves if we had time to kill at a place called Cuna Caves. I don't know if anybody ever heard of that. It's just outside of the city of Napa, Napa, Idaho. And uh it's called Cuna Caves and essentially it's just a hole in the ground. Now obviously the state uh, Parks and Recreation or what have you they, they are familiar with this because they've poured some cement and they've put in a metal ladder and you grab the handle of this metal ladder and you can walk down or actually climb down the ladder not walk but climb down the ladder about 30 feet and you finally hit the bottom of this cave again the hole is just right there on this flat piece of ground out in the desert and you finally climb to the bottom of the ladder and you set your feet on flat solid ground and in essence what it is it was a, a gaseous Chamber during a lava flow. In fact, you know, the lava tube goes back quite a ways, they say, over a quarter mile. And my buddies and I, we'd go down there and we'd laugh and giggle, and sometimes we'd do some discovery. But I remember that afternoon when I decided I want to climb, I want to crawl to the very furthest part of this cave. In fact, I'd heard that there was an opening, that there was another place that you get into the cave and so I decided to, to do my own spelunking. That's the word as you go caving is spelunking. And so I decided to do my own spelunking. And so my friend stayed out in the larger part of the cavern and I had a flashlight and I began to, you know, my journey in, in spelunking and, and, you know, discovering what was there and that, that lava tube and, and I probably spent about maybe 20 Minutes, and pretty soon I found myself down on my hands and knees because the cave got smaller and smaller and now I'm on hands and knees. And, and before long, I found myself literally on my belly sometimes, you know, kind of worming through a very tight spot and then standing up, kind of kneeling over, kind of like this in the end and then kneeling down again and worming through another spot. And, and pretty soon I realized that maybe I was in a precarious predicament. Because now I was on my belly, and if you can imagine the walls of of lava, which were very sharp, are now scratching my back and my sides, and I'm crawling on my stomach, and I'm literally moving myself along with my fingers and my toes. Now, if I knew then what I know now, I would never have done that, because that is absolutely dangerous and crazy. After looking at the statistics of how many people lose their lives Getting to a predicament like that and they're spelunking or they're discovering a cave or something happens and they literally get stuck and they cannot be rescued. And so I probably would have never done it, but I was crazy enough and I did it and I was determined to get the end of that lava tube. But now I'm I am in this flat prone position where the lava is surrounding every part of my body. I'm only able to move with my fingers and my toes. And as I turn one corner, as I'm slithering along and I turn one corner, lo and behold, about 30 feet away, I see this beam of light in the darkness. And that was the end of the cave. And I could see it, but I could not reach it. I could see the beam of light, but I could not touch it. And yet I was there now in this precarious position and I was feeling the pressure of the cave. And then I began to worm myself out backwards. I think sometimes when I think about a narrow passageway, I think sometimes our spiritual life is exactly like that because there are the walls that are pressing in and the responsibilities that are pressing in and life that is pressing in. And we find ourselves in a very precarious position and we can even call it risky. I think sometimes, even though we want to follow God and do the will of God, that that we hold back because of the risk or because of what it is that we might have to give up. And and as the walls are pressing in, we find ourselves maybe, you know, not, you know, as anxious as we thought we were to be obedient and follow the will of God. I think thinking about that helps us understand Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 13 and 14 a little bit as we think about the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, we're, we're back to the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, last week we spoke about the ask, seek, not principle. And and then after that, there was this summation that Jesus gives. And we didn't get that far. But if we were to have continued, we'd read about the summation that Jesus was given in regards to what the law was about. In fact, he says, if you seek goodness from your father in heaven, then you will give goodness or you will show goodness to others that are in your life. And really what Jesus was speaking about was the law. It's interesting as we study the idea of the law that in, in rabbinic schools, that was one thing that was often debated on and off. The idea of what the law, when we say the law, what does it really mean? In fact, they uh, they have what you call the, this double tendency. And if you're filling the notes, begin to fill the notes here. They have this double tendency, and that is to expand the law or to reduce it, to expand the law, reduce it. That means to expand the law to a point. Where it is so complex and there are so many details, you're really, you know, struggling with what it means to understand the law, because, I mean, it would be almost impossible to live up to because it's so expanded or they reduce the law. And they make it more simple and more easy to understand as they process what it means to be obedient to God. In fact, we go to the word of God and we read about that happening. In fact, remember, David, he reduced the law from six hundred and thirteen laws just down to eleven laws in Psalms, chapter 15. And do you remember Isaiah, he reduces those eleven ideas down to only six ideas. And then we remember Micah, he takes those those six and reduces them down to three. And his idea, the law was to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Let me say that again, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. But then we have Jesus that comes along. <laughs> and I love this because Jesus in his conversation makes it absolutely crystal clear In his summary of what the law is. In fact, we see it highlighted in Mark chapter 12, looking at verses 30 and 31, when he gives these very very familiar words, which are, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) I love the double truth that's here. I mean, here it is, to love God is to love others. I mean, that's the idea that he gives us that Jesus presents to us this morning is, is that if we're to love God, we're to love others and to truly love others. Here in my right hand, to truly love others is to really know who God is. And the more that we get to know God, the more that we understand what it means to love others. And that becomes this what I call a human conundrum. You see, the desire to know God and his goodness and to know the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. I mean, that's the spiritual plane that Jesus is speaking on. But yet, while not addressing our feelings towards others, can make this road in life, this this gate in life that Jesus is speaking out about so very narrow. In fact, one translation actually reads this way, that the way is hard. You see, because of this human element, but that the, the way is hard, Jesus simply breaks it down in such simple imagery that we can really follow. In other words, he talks about two paths, two different paths that Jesus mentions. And the first path is a path that is wide, it is a path that is the easy path. it is a path that has no obstacles. It is a path that, that many people are on because it is so comfortable and it is so wide. And then Jesus kind of explains that at the end of that path, there is a gate. And that gate leads to destruction. But then he mentions there's another path. That other path is the path that is narrow. It is the path that sometimes it is hard to find. It is a path that sometimes has many obstacles to overcome. It is a path that is hard. It is the harder path, as that one translation puts it. It is the harder path. And as we walk that path, we find ourselves at the end, there is another gate. And it is the gate that leads to everlasting life. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is understanding that it it is a faith that requires short term sacrifice and sometimes it it is unpopular and sometimes it is a sacrifice that is uncomfortable, kind of like the idea of commitment or or discipline, because when we're committed to something or we're we're disciplining ourselves to accomplish something like, say, for example, we're saving up a down payment for a house. And so we have to commit ourselves to that. We have to discipline ourselves so that we can reach our goal. And Jesus is saying we understand that, that takes sacrifice. It takes effort. But yet when we come to the spiritual conversation here, on the spiritual plane, he says the trade-off is huge. Because the trade-off is eternity. And I think the idea here is that most are too near sighted to see the value of the trade-off. So so that's why the human conundrum. Because why? People feel pretty good about making hard decisions in this physical world. They can make hard decisions about the things that they can see, like saving money, because the money's piling up in the bank and you can look at it and say, Yeah, I'm making some headway or or maybe when we work out and we're exercising and, and our bodies begin to change and we can see the headway in this physical world in which we're living. Or quite possibly it's education as we get education and then the degree is now hanging on the wall and our our paychecks get a little bit bigger because we can see the results in this physical world in which we're living. And that's so much easier when people, you know, are committed to things like that But when we talk about life. When we talk about the very summation of what life is that Jesus Christ was talking about, he talks about the summation of life, which is loving God and loving others. Remember that? Loving God and loving others. That is a conundrum. I mean, it is a tension that, that, that is inside of each one of us. If, if this love is pushing us and, and challenging us to love you know, beyond the envelope of our comfortability, Beyond the envelope of what it is that, that, that is easy to do, like, for example, loving somebody that's unlovely or loving somebody that has hurt us or loving somebody that is hard to love. I mean, it's a whole different story when we talk about loving somebody that has maybe a different set of values than what we have, or maybe they have different political views than what we have. You see, loving somebody, it can cause this conundrum inside of us and the very human nature of who we are and the tension that we experience. Because it means that we are being associated with not only just the cause of Christ, but being associated with with everlasting life and eternity. It is a conundrum if it means that we're being associated with with people, you know, that that are are serving Christ. And, and yet the people that we used to want to be a part of, you know, are no longer a part of their lives. And, and rejection has happened. We think about Jesus when he ministered to those that were sick or diseased. And we think of Jesus in Matthew chapter eight, when he heals the man that had leprosy and he ate with tax collectors we think of the tension that was created because of that. And it is a conundrum if loving God means speaking truth and being associated with Jesus puts us on the outs with people that we want to be on the end with. It, it is a conundrum if, if, if loving Jesus and following God means that we have to really show mercy and forgiveness. And it's a conundrum when it seems like it's absolutely impossible to do that. I'll never forget Harry and Jerry Evans, they were a couple that my parents were best friends with. They were Nazarene pastors. And Harry and Jerry Evans had kids. They had two daughters and a son. The son was a little bit older than myself. And then they had a daughter that was younger than me. But they had one daughter, Lori, that was my age. And uh, uh, the Evans and and the Millers, we did things together. We rented cabins together. We went camping together. But, of course, we grew up. And I'll never forget when my mom came into the room and she shared with me some tragic news We were now in college. Lori and I was now in college. And Lori had been out jogging. It was raining that morning, about 5 a.m. in the morning, I believe, as I remember. And uh, somebody had come along and grabbed her, had nabbed her. And they raped her. And they killed her. And they left her on the side of the road. (laughs) I remember that whole process and how emotional it was. and, And how, you know, I thought in my mind's eye how those parents must have felt. I mean, I really couldn't imagine... And I thought to myself, how will they ever forgive this man? But yet, because of who they are, I remember in the process, I'm not sure how long it took, whether it was a year or a few years. But sometime later, I I, I saw their son and he shared with me really what their, their spirit and their attitude was. And what happened is they really did forgive that man that had killed their daughter. Now, I'm not trying to play. On Your emotions are trying to highlight the you know, the only way that forgiveness, you know, can happen. But I, I do want to say this, that the only way that that forgiveness and mercy could move into the space of that mom and dad's heart is if there was a divine presence in them, a supernatural ability. And that is the presence of God, the supernatural ability to show mercy and forgiveness. And that's exactly what they did, is they they forgave this man that had taken the life of their precious daughter. You see, it is only by the strength, it's only by the anointing of God that, that we could ever have that kind of mercy and forgiveness in life. Yes, it's a conundrum if we're walking on the wide road, right? And we want to be on the narrow road. Conundrum and tension if we want to be on the narrow road and we see people walking on the narrow road and they have peace in their heart and they're walking with Jesus, but we can't figure out how to get off this wide road. That's why Jesus shows us this option. That's why Jesus is given this option. He talks about the wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow road and the narrow gate that leads to everlasting life. I've enjoyed in the last few years, my wife and I have enjoyed hiking around San Diego, San Diego County. And one place that we we really kind of just adopted as the place to hike is is Laguna Mountain, because it's only about 40 minutes away from our house. And we can get up there on the ridge on Laguna Mountain and we can hike There's several different trails. But we found one trail that we really like. And it's before the Laguna Mountain Market and store. It's before then. It's, it's a little parking area. It has kind of a, a field office, you know, for the national forest there. And we'd park in this little parking lot. And I think there are two different trails. And we'd take the, the main trail and we'd hike along the ridge there for about 45 minutes. And eventually, as we hiked around and along this ridge, we would eventually drop down in this deep, dark valley. And there towards the end of the valley was this logging road. And then we'd hike along this logging road for maybe 15 minutes. And after about 15 minutes, we noticed that the logging road would would, you know, slightly, you know, curve to the left and then it would slowly ascend back up to the ridge and the highway. But there at the curve, we noticed that there was a a little sign there, a little post that said, here is another trail. And this trail led up this mountain. It looked like a billy goat trail. It looked like the harder trail. It looked like the more difficult trail. And I looked at that because the first time we ever hiked this trail, there was snow on the ground. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do that. That looks hard. My wife looked at it and kind of mumbled something and said, yeah, she agreed. And so we took the, the slightly, the slight incline of the logging road. Well, we hiked probably another hour and 15 minutes. We finally hit the highway and we had to hike maybe three quarters of a mile or a mile up the highway to get back to the car. And we thought, wow, that was a, that was a good hike. Maybe it took us two and a half hours. Well, anyhow, um, we did that probably two or three times. And then just not long ago, just a few weeks ago, we were doing this hike along the ridge and down on the logging road there and then we came to the curve where it curved to the left and started the ascent back up to the ridge to the highway and we're there at the curve and we looked at that the harder trail that went up this steep slope and I said, Let's try to take the hard trail this time. And my wife, we talked about it, a minute. she said, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. And so we decided we're going to take the harder trail. That's exactly, guys, what we did is we took the harder trail. And, and it was a trail that was, you know, a little bit harder to see. I mean, it wasn't real, you know, clear. And, and so we took off and began to climb like mountain goats. And, and we, you know, had to climb over some obstacles and around some trees and some shrubs. But after about 20 minutes... After about 20 minutes, all of a sudden, this thing leveled out. We get to the top, and this thing levels out, and we walk maybe 10 minutes more is all. And all of a sudden, we just burst into this beautiful meadow. And we're now in this meadow, and it seems as if at that moment, the clouds begin to part, and the sun begins to shine, and we can see the sunbeams shining on the other side of the meadow. There in the distance, the sun is shining off plastic and metal, and we realize that there is the parking lot, and there is our truck. And it was only maybe a a 40 minute walk or maybe 35 minute walk from there. So I learned a couple things about that hike. My wife and I did. Here's the first thing that I learned that the hardest way was clearly the best way. (laughs) Think about it. The hardest way was clearly the best way. The second thing that I learned is that our perception of what is, is not always the best way to make a deception, to make a decision. The perception of what is, is not always the best way to make a decision. I love C.S. Lewis, and I know many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. And, and he has a wonderful way in his Christian writing and works that he always presents to us this option. I mean, as he is writing, because as Christians, always this option that causes us to think to ourselves, where are we at? I mean, what path really are are we on? He does this wonderfully. I mean, artfully. When we go to the story, the Chronicles of, of Narnia. How many have watched that or read that? The Chronicles of Narnia. Some of us have, and, and in that, he just does a remarkable job in in presenting this option to us in regards to maybe possibly what path we're on. He says this. He writes this. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is morning. Then Lewis then brings the story to a final conclusion. And here's the last paragraph. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. Aslan. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. Now, listen here. Begin to listen right here. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read. Because that great story, the great story is your life. And the question is, he presents to us, is what path are we going to choose? Are we going to choose the wide path that leads, you know, that gate or are we going to choose the narrow path are we going to choose the path that maybe that's more it's harder and, and there's some obstacles and, and maybe not a lot of people are on the path and, but yet it's that path that leads to eternity and everlasting life that is a challenge for us to think about tonight church what path are we going to choose I mean, a week from now, what path are we going to be on? I mean, when we rise from our seat or we leave our living room there at home, what path are we going to be on? And and when we come to the end of this year and the pandemic is now behind us, the question is, church, what path are we going to be on? Are we going to be on the path that is wide, that leads to destruction? Are we going to be on the path that leads to everlasting life? And when we come to the end of our lives, the question is what path? Are you going to be on at that point? I want to invite you to just bow your heads. Let's everybody at home and here in the sanctuary and on campus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word here. I thank you, Father, for the reminder, the simple imagery that you give us, that there are these two paths in life. And we're either on the wide path, that's the easy path, that so many people are on, or we we find ourselves on the narrow path. That maybe is a little bit more difficult and there are some things that we have to learn and adapt to and we understand that spiritually, Father. But you know that this is your path. This is the one that you walk with us on. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that as we are thinking, and as we're praying, that you would just move the heart of that one individual. That you would touch that mind of that individual that's thinking about this right now. And they would finish this prayer. Before this prayer is done, they would say, oh, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to be on your path. I want to be on the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. So, Jesus, I pray that you would, Lord, just hear that prayer this morning. Thank you, God, for hearing that prayer. Thank you, Father, for, Lord, answering that whisper right now as that young man or that young woman or that individual right now saying, Jesus, I'm choosing that narrow path. I know, Lord, it's going to be a challenge, but Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, I choose you. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Congratulations, those that prayed at home and those that prayed here on campus. I want to just congratulate you for choosing to walk with Jesus. He loves you this morning. He's so... Hungry to be in your life. He wants to be a part of what you're going through right now. And I don't know what you're facing, but I know this. I know that Jesus loves you and he wants to be a part of your life. So congratulations if you prayed that prayer and you're just listening to his voice right now. I'm thinking about paths. And um, I I need to just, uh, I want to share with you this morning um, about the fact that my wife and I have now chosen a new path, so to speak. Uh, I, we sent out an email this week and so, so many of you have already received the email and read the email the letter that was explaining that my wife and I have officially accepted a call to pastor church on the North Arkansas District and so we turned our resignation letter into the church board and the district superintendent uh, last Monday night and our last Sunday will be September 13th and uh And again, I'm assuming that you've already heard, but if you have not, Heidi and I love you. We love you. We love the church. And I know that God has spectacular things in store for you. I know he has an awesome plan for you. And he has an awesome leader that's going to come and pastor you. And so I want you to know, Heidi and I, our heart is with you. Our prayers are for you. Thank you for being so kind to us. Thank you for being so loving to us. Thank you for being so generous. You guys have done an awesome job. Know that you're a great church. Thank you for the chance to pastor you. God bless you. And have a great Sabbath.